and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a pop culture podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Lulu. And I'm your co-host, Pi. Before we get started, is there anything that you've been into or up to lately that you'd like to tell our listeners about, Lulu? Well, after a brief fall break, I am back on the academia grind, aka my proper fall semester has started. So that's been a little bit busy as I've been running around trying to get everything straight. But I have read two books recently that I'd like to mention. And the first is How to Be Ace, A Memoir of Growing Up Asexual by Rebecca Burgess, which is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a graphic memoir about the author's experiences of growing up and coming to understand their asexuality. I was on a bit of a nonfiction kick over the summer. So this is like sort of continuing that trend of like reading books about people with different life experiences and expanding your mind and all that. And on the total opposite end of the spectrum, I also finished reading Deep Secret by Diana Wynne-Jones, which is a really fun fantasy book about a tired bureaucratic wizard who helps oversee the multiverse, who gets stuck at a science fiction and fantasy convention, trying to deal with the very real collapse of this intergalactic empire and also trying to appoint a new successor. And it's really fun because it's like all these actual science fiction and fantasy things happening at a fantasy convention like a centaur running around that people think is just a really great costume. That was kind of fun to reread because I read it for the first time a really long time ago when I was a kid, like in middle school. And it was kind of interesting rereading it now that I'm adult because there was definitely like aspects of it that I hadn't really picked up on or stuff that I appreciated more now that I was older. So that was fun to reread. Oh yeah, I love Deep Secret. It's very fun and it taught me about the multiverse theory at a young age. So thanks, Johnny Wynne Jones. Yeah, reading Johnny Wynne Jones books does really uh, verse you in multiverse theory when you're a kid. Is there anything that you've been into or up to lately that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, I am currently kind of having my brain steamrolled by my midterms this semester, but I did have time to watch the movie The Vast of Night, which you previously mentioned on this podcast. And it's a really low budget, like indie sci-fi movie with an amazing script and acting and direction about these two high school students in 1950s New Mexico who are tracking this mysterious radio signal that may or may not be originating from aliens. And it was just so good. Like you told me it was good and it was even better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I mean, the script is just so good. It's really phenomenal and very underrated. I would definitely recommend anyone go watch it if it sounds interesting. I also recently read two really good comics. The first is The Moon Knight Run by Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood. Moon Knight is kind of a weird character. He's a vigilante with dissociative identity disorder who used to be a former mercenary and is now the avatar of the Egyptian god of the moon, which is just like kind of a wild resume. But it was a really good series. It was like very trippy and had really good art. It was also a very thoughtful exploration of mental illness. And I liked it a lot. I am considering reading more comics with that character, but I've also heard that is like the best comic out there featuring him. So, you know. Oh, interesting. I don't think I've really read anything that Moon Knight is in, but I know he's getting a TV show soon, so maybe I should brush up on that character. Yeah, to be honest, that's part of the reason why I read the comic, but I thought it was very good on its own. I also read the DC Comics graphic novel Shadow of the Batgirl by Sarah Kahn, which is like this young adult graphic novel about the character of Cassandra Kane overcoming her childhood as an assassin and gaining like a found family and a sense of purpose and an identity and becoming Batgirl and eating lots of really good noodles. And it was just like very good and heartwarming and it made me want to read more comics with Cass in them, definitely. And finally, the last thing that I read is the book Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots, which was absolutely kind of brilliant. I'm a little obsessed with it. It's about this sort of tired millennial temp worker who does data analysis for supervillains. And when she's caught in the crossfire of a big battle between a supervillain and a superhero and she's injured and laid off, she kind of turns really cynical and starts like deciding to take down the superheroes because she realizes they're actually causing a lot of damage to the world that people don't talk about because they're supposed to be the good guys. And it was really funny, but also like a really insightful exploration of the dark side of superheroes. And I loved it. Yes, Hench sounds really good, and it's definitely high up on my list of books to read soon. It also might be the topic of a future episode, so if that sounds interesting to you, stay tuned. You will probably hear more about it later. However, the topic of today's episode has nothing at all to do with superheroes, surprisingly. We are branching out into very new territory for this podcast, and we're going to be discussing two young adult contemporary coming-of-age books that have 
not a single dragon or spaceship or wizard in either of them, which is truly groundbreaking territory for whoever the twins shall meet. I know, it's really unprecedented. The two books that we'll be talking about are Perfect on Paper by Sophie Gonzalez and Jack of Hearts and Other Parts by Elsie Rosen, which are both young adult books that fit into a very specific trope of a character who runs a relationship advice column but is kind of a mess in their own personal life, which is a very, very specific trope that I enjoy. And I also enjoy it. So we decided we we're going to do this episode even though neither of these books feature any kind of sci-fi or fantasy elements. I mean, I figured this podcast doesn't really have a set theme. It's just kind of like things we like, and this falls into the category of things I like, so it's on our podcast. Fair enough. So the first book that I mentioned is called Perfect on Paper, and it's by Sophie Gonzalez, and it's a young adult contemporary novel, also kind of a rom-com and a coming of age, following Darcy Phillips, who is a high school junior who runs an anonymous advice business through letters sent to an empty lockers. So people will basically write down their relationship problems in an envelope, stick some cash in there, and put it into a secret empty locker, and she will then respond and give them advice, all completely anonymous. Darcy keeps her identity secret partially so she can try to offer unbiased advice, but also because once she used the locker for a less well-intentioned purpose and basically sabotaged her friend Brooke's budding relationship because she's secretly in love with her best friend, and she doesn't want anyone to know about that particular dark side of the locker. However, when Alexander Broham, who's a senior at her school, learns that she's behind the locker advice business, he convinces her to basically become his personal dating coach while he tries to win back his ex-girlfriend Winona. And this leads to Darcy having to balance her secret identity with her long-held crush on Brooke and her new growing feelings for Broham. I personally thought this was overall a very nuanced and heartwarming book that was also quite funny at parts, and I really enjoyed it a lot. It's the first book I've read by Sophie Gonzalez, but I thought she really nailed the premise and execution of this book, and I will definitely keep an eye out for her future works. Agreed. I also really enjoyed it. It's a great mix of like rom-com and coming of age. It has a very thoughtful look at dating and teenage problems, and the character relationship, both platonic and romantic, were really compelling and felt real and messy in a very realistic way. And there were also several parts that made me laugh out loud. This book is really funny, even when Darcy's life was kind of falling apart, and overall I just really enjoyed it a lot. In terms of the actual advice column aspect, I think Sophie Gonzalez's author bio says that she's a psychologist in addition to being an author. So I think a lot of like the advice relationship and insights into the different ways that people show or require love probably ring true to a lot of real advice in psychology. So it's not just like a high schooler kind of throwing random pieces of advice out there. Darcy in the book is a character who does a lot of authentic research into like how humans form connections and navigating relationships. But I also didn't necessarily find her advice unrealistically good for a teenager because there are moments when she stumbles or feels selfish. And I think that kept the book from feeling like preachy or didactic about relationships. Yeah, Darcy definitely doesn't feel like a teenager who basically has a degree in psychology. She has done her research for the answers to people's questions and they do feel like legitimate answers. They're not like unrealistically like specific and careful. Yeah, I mean, like some of the stuff that she talks about, I learned in high school psychology and sociology, or I have just like heard about in general from books or podcasts or the internet. So even though it's very much a book about a teenager who is giving relationship advice, it still feels like it's ringing pretty true to what an actual teenager could do. Yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast, Comic Book Couples Counseling, after reading this book, and they mentioned a concept that came up in Perfect on Paper, and I was like, I know what the couple couple is because I've read Perfect on Paper. Yeah, so if you want to read a fun and pretty funny young adult contemporary novel that also has some interesting genuine insights into psychology, I guess this would be a good bet. I also liked that the scenarios Darcy's advice discusses feel like realistic teen problems, like how do I get over my ex-boyfriend? How do I communicate with my partner? How do I get back together with my girlfriend when I can't figure out why we broke up in the first place? So they just really feel like teen problems and like things that people would actually want advice on, as opposed to like wildly unrealistic teen drama problems that would like never happen in real life. Right. And a lot of her advice basically just boils down to having healthy communication to consent with your partner. And I think that's like nice stuff to be communicating to teenagers who are, you know, the target audience of this book. Yeah, I think that's important stuff for teens to hear. I realize like this makes me sound very old, like I wasn't a teenager last year, but like I still think that's true. Yeah, it was sort of funny reading this book because 
I am in college, but I'm also not that far away from being a high schooler. So at some points I'd be like, oh yeah, like that's totally relatable. I remember that from high school. And then there'd be other moments where I was like, wow, I feel unbelievably old actually. Mm-hmm. Anytime characters in this mentioned being stressed about college applications, I was like, I feel so old. Yeah, that's, that's truly in the past. Also, one thing that I liked about this book is the way that it really incorporated a lot of LGBTQ identities and a lot of discussions about those identities. Because like I said earlier, Darcy has a crush on her best friend, Brooke, and she's bisexual, so she's interested in Brooke, but she later develops feelings for a guy over the course of the book. And there's a bit of a subplot about her struggling with internalized biphobia and the fact that sometimes she feels like her identity is invalid, but then she kind of learns to accept that her identity doesn't change depending on who she has feelings for, as in she's still bisexual if she's dating a guy, she's not suddenly straight, and she's not a lesbian when she's interested in a girl. And I thought that was like a really nice message to put in a young adult book because it's definitely going to be read by people who are still figuring out who they are and navigating relationships. So I think the message that like your relationship doesn't define your identity and no matter what your dating history is or your current relationship status is, people can't tell you how you're supposed to identify is like a nice message to be in a book for people who are still figuring that kind of stuff out. Yeah, I really loved that that was a subplot in this book. It felt very natural. It didn't feel like preachy at all or like shoved in. It just was a very natural progression of Darcy's character and like something that a bi teenager might actually go through. I actually read in an interview with this author that Darcy's plotline of having feelings for a girl and then having feelings for another guy and ending up with him was inspired by like some pushback towards one of her other books where a side character went through the same thing. So kind of, I feel like, Sophie Gonzalez's partial inspiration for Darcy's plotline about this was kind of like showing that a character is still bisexual even if they end up with a guy and I really liked that because I feel like it is sort of rare in YA books for people to talk that frankly about biphobia. Yeah so I, I enjoyed that aspect of the book and I think it's not something I've seen discussed a lot but it made sense for a book that is very much about discussing identity and relationships and understanding yourself and how you relate to the world. And there's also a number of other LGBTQ characters who appear throughout the novel because like Darcy's older sister is trans for instance and Darcy is part of the queer and questioning club at her high school. So there is just like a lot of background characters who have identities other than being cis straight people. I loved Darcy's sister Ainsley. She was easily one of my favorite side characters in the book. She's really funny and she and Darcy have like a really great sibling relationship. And she also runs a YouTube channel where she alters like really ugly thrift clothing. So it's always fun to like see like in the background of a scene I'll mention that like Ainsley is like mending a really ugly dress to make it look prettier. And she was just generally a very fun character. Yeah, I also think the Queer and Questioning Club added a lot of humor to the book that I really appreciated because I was actually the president of my high school's like very small gay straight transgender alliance in high school. So it was kind of funny reading about the Q&Q club. And I just think they were like a really good comedic aspect of the book while also kind of being a venue to discuss these LGBTQ identities. As the co-president of said gay straight transgender alliance club in high school, I agree with that. Like the conversation where someone was trying to convince Dorothy that they should change their name to the queer and questioning club with three cues so it's alliterative made me laugh really hard because that's definitely the kind of thing that teenagers talk about in real life. I also I'm not in high school anymore obviously but I didn't graduate forever ago and I think this novel did a pretty good job of nailing the teen characters like for instance at one point the club has a discussion on how Chad and Ryan from High School Musical were definitely a couple which is absolutely a conversation I have heard in real life and was definitely the kind of thing that I think would come up with that kind of club. Oh yeah, I have also heard that exact conversation go down in real life. So it just never felt very, hello fellow youth, I am trying to imitate your teenage speak in pop cultures. It felt pretty authentic in terms of like how they talk and the kind of things they reference. Because I think a lot about how being a young adult contemporary author must actually be really hard because obviously, you know, the emotional feeling of being a teenager and problems like relationship drama or fighting with your parents or worrying about academics is something that pretty much rings true across generations. But also the difference between someone who went to high school like now and someone who went to high school five or 10 or 15 years ago is pretty big just in terms of how social media has changed stuff, how there's more understanding of LGBTQ identities, how there's new pop culture. And I imagine like, I, I just have respect for people who can manage to like actually nail that because it's like, something you can't really draw on 
your personal experiences going to high school in the mid 2000s or whatever. And also your audience who are teenagers will know if you're feeling inauthentic or inaccurate. So I always have a lot of respect for authors who manage to actually nail a, like a good authentic teenage voice. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for young adult contemporary authors. There is a reason that I write fantasy books not set in our world. And so I don't have to figure out how many times I would have to reference TikTok when writing a contemporary book, among other things. I also think that this book did a good job of exploring the kind of dark side of Darcy's locker business because at the start of the book she's been running it for about three years and it's been pretty successful. She asks for refunds if people's relationship problems don't work out and has rarely had to give them but she did use that locker for selfish purposes once and kind of semi-sabotaged her best friend Brooke's budding relationship because Brooke and this other girl were interested in each other and both separately wrote into the locker and Darcy kind of gave them advice to sort of play hard to get. And then both of them just figured the other one had lost interest and the relationship kind of fell apart. And that's really something that comes back to haunt Darcy over the course of the book and the way that she sort of abused the anonymous authority of the advice locker for her own selfish ends. And also, you know, the fact that a teenager running an anonymous advice business out of a high school locker and earning money off of it is kind of a dodgy setup to begin with. Those are both very much dealt with. And I think that was smart of this book because it is kind of dodgy when you're not a psychologist to be making money off of giving people advice. Yeah, I support Darcy not wanting to have a terrible high school job bagging groceries, but it is maybe a little bit suspect to be giving allegedly professional advice to your classmates when you're also a teenager. And I did think that Darcy's decision to sabotage Brooke's relationship does, I can see where she was coming from in that. It feels like a realistically messy thing that a teenager who's like worried she's in unrequited love with someone who's interested in someone else would do. But it was definitely like a really bad thing to do to someone who cared about her a lot and was also interested in starting a relationship with someone else. And I'm glad this book kind of showed that was like an unacceptable thing for Darcy to do and that like it damages her relationship with Brooke when this information comes out. It also really ups the stakes of the book because we have not only Roam trying to win back his girlfriend and being aware of Darcy's identity and sort of holding that over her head a little bit to get advice from her, but also the fact that Darcy's best friend doesn't even know that she's embroiled in all this secret anonymous relationship drama, and the fact that we know that if it gets out or if Darcy reveals her identity to anyone, her best friend will know that she's been sort of hurt and used by her, and it really did add some stakes to this book, which was like pretty funny and heartwarming otherwise, but it definitely kept me turning the pages because I was like, oh no, when's her identity going to get revealed? Oh no, this is going to happen at some point, isn't it? Yeah, there's some real tension in the book. It's not just like, will Broham get back with his girlfriend? It's more like, will Darcy and Brooke's relationship be ruined over this information that she concealed from her friend? And so you're definitely really worried about it because Darcy and Brooke are like really good friends and you get really invested in caring about Darcy and her relationships. But it's also easy to understand that like she's a teenager who made some mistakes that she does have to own up to. I also enjoyed the romance that developed throughout Perfect and Paper. I thought that was pretty good because like I said at the start of the book, Darcy has basically been nursing a crush on her best friend Brooke for ages and ages and ages, but has pretty much no idea how to act on it and if Brooke would return her feelings. And she becomes closer to Brougham over the course of the book because she's giving him relationship advice and starts to develop feelings for him, except she's trying to help him win back his ex-girlfriend. And also there's sort of this thing where she thinks Brougham is blackmailing her and Brougham doesn't quite realize that's how she's interpreting the situation. So they get off on the wrong foot. But then they sort of start to get closer and they genuinely become friends outside of this sort of business relationship advice column transaction they have going on. It is sort of hilarious that Darcy is literally running a relationship advice business, but her own love life is like a horrible mess that she can't navigate at all. But I, I feel like that's part of the appeal of this incredibly niche trope that I can think of maybe five examples of. Like, I would say sex education on Netflix is a kind of similar piece of media and that the main character runs this sex and relationship advice business but he's a complete disaster in his own life and has no idea how to talk to girls and stuff like that and I think it kind of adds a conflict to the main character because if you just understand all of your relationship problems in your own life there's not going to be any conflict for a story but I think everyone kind of relates to the feeling of someone comes to ask you for your advice and you're like oh I'm not qualified to talk about this I feel like I'm a mess on my own life so it's just kind of taking that feeling and turning it into the entire premise of a book pretty much yeah Anyway, so despite getting off on the wrong foot because she thinks that Broham is blackmailing her first, Darcy and the reader kind of start to understand that even though Broham has this 
kind of outside reputation as this popular swim jock with rich parents who's just not good at commitment and that ruined his last relationship we kind of start to realize that there's like a lot more to him beneath that surface and that a lot of that actually stems from his really terrible home life. Yeah, I thought the author did a really good job of exploring Brougham's character because as we learned, Darcy is like a bit judgmental. When she first meets Brougham, she's like, oh, he's the jock who's kind of an asshole and I don't like him because he's blackmailing me. And then eventually we realized that he's not blackmailing her. That's not even remotely what he was trying to do. He just wanted her advice. And he was like actually a pretty decent guy. And she just kind of made a snap judgment about him that kind of stuck. So I liked that. He was definitely a fun character because you learn more about him from Darcy's eyes. It's very Pride and Prejudice. Like the people getting off on the wrong foot and making these split second judgments that are a little bit correct about each other, but also a little bit extreme. And then they sort of slowly start to work towards common ground and like understand who they are beyond these first impressions. Absolutely. Although at no point did Rome insult Darcy's family while proposing to her, so at least he has that going for him. Thankfully not, because they're in high school and I don't think anyone should be getting married as a junior in high school. Oh, also, Broham is Australian, which I thought was sort of interesting. Sophie Gonzalez is Australian, I believe, and she kind of uses this character as like a way to pepper in some like Australian culture and humor in a book that's otherwise mostly American. And so I thought that must have been kind of fun for her to like put bits of her own experience in a book that's otherwise about American teens. And I don't know a lot about Australia because I'm American, but it was just kind of a fun part to like get a glimpse of like what life was like for teenagers in Australia as opposed to America. I also thought that was fun, yeah, because, you know, living in America and mostly consuming American media, it's always sort of interesting to go read books set in Australia or England or Ireland because they're kind of similar, but also, like, their school setups and their cultures and, like, certain quirks are slightly different. So it was sort of fun having an Australian character come into this book, which is set in California, even though it's written by an Australian, and sort of bring, like, little bits of Australian humor to the book. I will say that one moment in this book that made me sort of wonder if it was something that you could tell was written by an Australian is that everyone in this book thinks and talks about Disneyland a lot. Like they go to Disneyland in this book so many times and I have lived in America all my life and never once have I been to Disneyland. But I can't tell if this is just like my experiences or if Sophie Gonzalez actually thinks that everyone in America goes to Disneyland all the time. Okay, first of all, they went once. <laughs> and second of all, that might be a Californian thing because it's not exactly like you grew up anywhere close to Disneyland. So that might just be a state thing as opposed to a country thing. That's possible. I just thought it was funny that they talk about going to Disneyland so much. And that's like, not at all part of my own life. I personally related to Brom absolutely hating the experience of being at Disneyland because I really don't like amusement parks. And when he was like, did you know that people die on these things? I was like, yes, I do know that. And sometimes I think about that. It was very relatable. There's a reason I don't go on roller coasters, guys. Well, and also the fact that it's usually just a lot of standing in line when it's hot out, but that's beside the point. <laughs> anyway, so uh, one thing that Darcy and Brom kind of bond over a little bit as they become genuine friends instead of sort of these business partners is that both of them have parents who don't have a really great relationship. And I liked that aspect of this book because I feel like it was explored in a way that I haven't necessarily seen in other young adult contemporary books. So Brom's parents have this terrible relationship and they're always fighting and his mom sometimes cheats on his dad, but they're still together. And that's like led to him being this person who's kind of both afraid of commitment, but also like really wants to be loved, but is also sort of afraid of getting close to people in case they let him down. And that's explored throughout the book a lot as Darcy sort of starts to see beneath his broader reputation of like the golden boy swim jock. And I think it really added this depth to his character. But what I thought was really interesting is that Darcy's family situation is that um, her parents are divorced and they have kind of split custody of her and her sister. So she goes back and forth between living at her parents' different houses. And that is something I have never seen in a young adult contemporary book before. And I read a lot and I have never encountered that scenario, which is wild because I grew up living like that. And I know a lot of people who did, but I've never seen it before in a book, which is interesting. And I didn't realize how rarely I'd seen that until I read it in this book. Yeah, I also didn't realize that until I was reading this book. 
we spent most of high school doing a similar thing because our parents are divorced and have split custody. Hello, parents who I'm sure listen to this podcast. But anyway, it's not really a thing in young adult contemporary books, at least the ones that I've read, that the main character will just have casually divorced parents. I feel like it's either like my parents getting divorced is the plot of this book or my parents are like madly in love and have a stable relationship throughout the entire book. And I don't think I've read a lot of any books or any media at all where someone just like casually has divorced parents that's just like a part of their life. I think it also tends to be in young adult books that often there are single parents so either one of the parents will be dead or one of the parents will have sole custody and the other lives like somewhere else and we don't really encounter them much in the book but I think it I've just never seen that before in a book so I thought that was interesting because I definitely know other people who grew up like that and it's not particularly uncommon but it's just not something that I've seen in media before and it's odd that like reading about it made me realize I've never seen it before and I think it worked well for this book because this book is so much about navigating relationships and how people's families influence them that that I think Darcy having like a somewhat unconventional home life is part of the reason that led her to be interested in like the ways people navigate relationships and form attachments. But it was just interesting. I was like, I wonder why they don't write that in young adult books more. Like, is it just that oftentimes parents are really in the background, so you don't want to explore their impact on the kid that much? Or it could just be that like, it's a generational thing. So that was less of a thing when people who write young adult books now are growing up. It just led me to like consider that for a little bit longer than I ever have. Yeah, pretty much. I did really like that was an aspect of the book that I related to a lot. Like there were parts where like, Darcy would like leave something at one of her parents' houses be like, oh no, now I have to wait until next week to get it. Or like her older sister will have to drive back to their dad's house when they're spending the night at their mom's because she left her hormones there. Like that's pretty relatable. I constantly leave my socks at the other person's house when I'm staying at someone else's for a week. And I just really liked that that was part of the book. And like you said, it definitely feels like Darcy having watched her own parents like relationship kind of fall apart leaves her interested in like relationships in general and like how people navigate them and the ways that you can like fix or break them so I thought that was an element in the book that like worked pretty well to inform her character. Yeah though to be clear I would say her parents are a lot messier than ours and nowhere near the level of Broham who I felt really bad for when I was reading this book. Yeah I felt terrible for Broham because like Darcy we're just kind of like he's a rich boy and he has like such a big fancy house and then you actually get to his house and like Darcy arrives in the middle of a big argument between his parents and you kind of immediately start to understand there's like a bit more going on with the character than what was originally thought. I just think that I liked how well-rounded that aspect of the book was and that it explores how people's families impact who they are and how they understand relationships and navigate the world and how it affects their interpersonal relationships. And I thought it made Broham and Darcy work really well as foils to each other, as people who have these complicated relationships with their parents, but in very different ways. Anyway, that's not really the point of this book, but I did think it was an interesting aspect of it. Eventually, things do kind of come to a head and Darcy's secret identity is revealed and the relationship advice that she dispenses is called into question when people realize who she is. And she kind of gets into trouble for having used her business to meddle with her best friend's relationship near the end of the book. But also a lot of people who just use the business are like, oh, wow, I kind of didn't realize that you were just doing this secretly and was a student among us the whole time. So I like that by the end, it's it's clear that her advice isn't infallible because she is like, after all, just a teenager and not a trained psychologist and does not have the best handle on this situation all the time. Yeah, there are also some parts later on in the book where characters kind of challenge the advice that she gives out, like... Broham asks her like if the advice she's giving for her relationship is really the best idea and then Darcy after her identity is revealed has a conversation with her friend Finn who's a Korean American gay guy from the Queer and Questioning Club and he says like he probably wouldn't have gone to her for advice because she wouldn't be able to understand all the nuances of his identity because she is a white bi girl and not a Korean American gay guy so like it does acknowledge that Darcy does her best to give good advice but like she's a teenager and she has some blind spots and is not infallible. So I really thought this book took the premise of a girl running an anonymous relationship advice column and kind of looked at the pros and the cons and the dark side of it and the dodgy part of it, but also how someone would become interested in that kind of situation and end up doing that. And I feel like it was just explored very fully and I didn't 
feel like the book left an aspect of it underexplored, which was nice to read about. Oh, one other thing that I really liked about this book is that I thought it was kind of a neat subversion of the typical rom-com tropes, that like the big gesture to get someone back at the end is performed towards Darcy's friend Brooke and not her love interest, because even though there is a romance in this book, it kind of acknowledges how important platonic relationships are, and like it doesn't ever pretend that Darcy's new romance with Rome is like way more important than her long friendship with Brooke. So that was kind of a cool part of the book that I liked a lot. I also liked that because part of Darcy's character arc is moving on from her crush on Brooke and realizing that she still really values their friendship and she wants to apologize. So she goes through a lot to kind of try and mend things with Brooke and fix Brooke's relationship and kind of atone for the fact that she anonymously meddled in her love life previously. And it does really culminate in this moment where she has kind of a grand romantic gesture, but instead it's really about not getting your love interest back, but about getting your best friend back and trying to earn back the trust. And it was just a really interesting subversion of the typical rom-com trope where like, usually there's kind of this third act breakup between the couple and then one of them has to kind of go make it up to the other one and apologize and explain what they did wrong. But instead of this book doing it with a romantic partner, it's with a best friend that well, Darcy did have feelings for her, she now values as a friend and has moved on from. And I just kind of like that because I feel like this book is very much about looking at relationships through a different lens and kind of turning things over and analyzing why people act this way and treat people certain ways. So I feel like the fact that it took this very long-standing rom-com trope and turned it on its head a bit fit pretty well with the rest of the book. Darcy's big grand gesture also kind of involves getting Brooke back together with her then girlfriend because they were having relationship problems of their own. So it's both like a way for Darcy to try to earn back Brooke's trust, but also kind of a way for Darcy to like realize that she shouldn't want to date Brooke because she did like some kind of hurtful things to her friend and like she's moved on from her and she can be happy for Brooke dating someone else. So it's just like overall a good moment because there's like a lot of character work that goes into like Darcy being able to like be happy that her friend is dating someone else and also realize that she really hurt Brooke and needs to like make amends to her in some way. So it is a book about a teenage girl who is kind of messy and does the wrong thing, but also sort of learning from that and growing. And even though she does some kind of unlikable things, you might understand why. And later she understands why they weren't great and sort of grows from that. And it was a pretty satisfying character arc that I appreciated. Also, it ended up kind of reminding me a little bit about Another young adult book, which is Loveless by Alice Oseman, which also kind of reframes a lot of traditionally romantic tropes to be about friendship, but that's because the protagonist is a first year student in college who is realizing that she's aromantic and asexual and not romantically interested in anyone, but has these really strong friend bonds that she can kind of romanticize and treat as important as most people prioritize romance. Anyway, so I just thought it was interesting that like there are these young adult books coming out now that really look at how people should value friendship just as much as romance and I appreciate that trend. Yeah I really appreciated that. As someone who's like a big Shakespeare nerd who appreciates my friends very much I also really liked Loveless by Alice Oseman. Overall I would say that I enjoyed Perfect on Paper quite a bit. Young adult contemporary coming of age rom-com stuff is really not a genre we discuss much on this podcast because we're very focused on science fiction and fantasy. But I would say if you enjoy that kind of genre or you think it sounds kind of like a fun trope, you might enjoy this. Though I do realize we have been talking about spoilers the whole time. So if you go read this book, they'll probably know how it all goes down. Well, it's sort of difficult to talk about some parts of this book without spoiling it. But yeah, overall, I thought this was a really good book. It was just like, it was a fun read, but also like did a great job of like exploring stuff like how to have a healthy relationship or like how to get over internalized biophobia or like, how to understand like when you've made mistakes and make amends for it and it was just like very fun and had a lot of enjoyable character relationships and side characters as well as a compelling main character. Overall would definitely recommend a strong installment in Lulu's favorite niche trope of people who run advice columns but are disasters in their own personal life. Our second installment in this very niche trope is Jack of Hearts and Other Parts by Lev A.C. Rosen which is also a young adult contemporary novel it follows Jack Rothman, an openly gay teenager at a prep school in New York City, as he starts a sex and relationship advice column with the help of his friends, at the same time that a mysterious stalker starts harassing him and targeting him. So Jack is very proudly out as gay and is like very unabashed of his sexuality or the fact that he sleeps around a lot or the fact that he's into fashion and is more like 
feminine than is generally considered acceptable for a guy and he's kind of a public figure at his school due to this and so there's like a lot of exaggerated rumors about his sex and romantic life which kind of bothers him a bit but he has sort of like a it could be worse mentality about it all and sort of when his friends suggest that he starts a sex advice column for students at his school he kind of decides to use his like public persona as a way to like talk more frankly about teenage sex and relationships maybe use some good for it but unfortunately it also brings the attention of a stalker who starts harassing him and is like generally kind of creepy and dark and Jack has to get to the bottom of who this stalker is and why they're harassing him so much while he's also trying to like run his advice column just live his life. Jack of Hearts is definitely a lot darker than Perfect on Paper. They have pretty similar premises in that it's about a high schooler who runs a relationship advice column, but the stalking and blackmailing plot gets pretty dark. So that would just be a warning if you're considering reading this. We will be discussing spoilers about the reveal of who the stalker is, though. This is very much a book that relies on kind of tension and the stakes of the stalker, as well as the sex and relationship advice column. So I think in order to properly discuss it, we are going to be talking about some spoilers about the reveal of the stalker's identity. So that's just a warning if you have not read this book. Yeah, it's kind of hard not to discuss the plot of this book without talking about who the identity of the stalker is, because it's a kind of central mystery of the story. I think I had a little bit of trouble getting into this one at first, just because of some specific things that popped up in the first couple of hundred pages. But I did really think the advice column aspect was interesting and very much the kind of stuff I have not seen discussed in a young adult book before. And the stalker plotline was definitely really stressful, as I've said, but it did really keep me turning the pages. So I read this book pretty quickly just because I was like, dear Lord, I need to see this like all get solved and watch everything turn out okay. Yeah, I started this book thinking there was going to be kind of like a fun and interesting YA contemporary book with maybe a little bit of a mystery plotline, but it actually does get like kind of dark because of the stalker. So that was not something I was expecting, but I think it was like well done and treated with the seriousness that it should have been. So one thing that I really appreciate about this book is that it acknowledges that Jack kind of comes from a place of privilege because he is a rich white kid who goes to a liberal prep school in New York City and his sexuality is completely accepted by his mom, but he still does face discrimination in the form of like homophobia from the administrators at his school judgment from other gay kids at his school about how he's kind of a stereotype and fetishization from straight people along with the stalker and so like it definitely delves into some darker topics but I thought it did a really good job of handling them and exploring like Jack's position as like a gay person who technically is in a position of privilege but also does uh, face discrimination because of his sexuality. Jack's column, unlike Darcy's, does deal with relationship stuff like coming out and communicating with your partner but it also deals really frankly with teenagers and their sex lives which is not something that I've seen talked about in a lot of young adult books but Jack's advice column talks about like how to hook up with people after you come out, how to know if you're asexual, how to know if you are ready for sex, the importance of communicating what what you want with your partner and stuff like that. I would say this is definitely one of the more sex-positive young adult books that I've ever read, possibly the most sex-positive, if only because it's touched on a lot of topics that I have never seen brought up in other books in this age range. And like the actual sex scenes in this book are fade to black, but Jack's advice is like very frank, and I think something that like actual teenagers would probably learn something from. And I really liked that aspect of this book because it's definitely not something that I've seen talked about in a lot of other YA contemporary books. Yeah, this book was way more frank about sex and relationships than other any other adult books that I've ever read, honestly. Though, yeah, I, I do feel like it's important to note that even though it's a book in which characters talk about sex a lot, it's not actually explicit in regards to like the actual sex scenes. Characters in this book have sex and romantic relationships and stuff, but it's all written in a very age-appropriate way, which I think makes sense considering it's written about and for high schoolers, but it's still very much talks about a lot of topics that I haven't seen in other young adult books, like how to communicate with your partner about like what kinds of sex you want to do or how to know whether you're ready for sex or how to know if you're not interested in that kind of stuff at all. And it is very much a book about teenagers who drink and have sex in high school, which despite what some people might believe is in fact something high schoolers do. So it's not necessarily unrealistic, but I would say that I haven't seen that kind of stuff discussed to this extent in a young adult book before. Yeah, because what Jack does in this book is that like he has a pretty varied sexual and romantic life and has like had relationships with a lot of different people and hooks up with a lot of different people. And he kind of uses this experience to like give other people advice about their own 
sex and romance lives and I really liked that because I don't think it's super common in YA books for characters to like talk frankly about sex because like they are YA books but like it's also not unrealistic for teenagers to talk about that kind of thing so I liked that it was included in this. I would say it's definitely intended for somewhat older teens though like maybe 16, 17, 18 rather than 13 or 14 year olds because they are upperclassmen in high school and they do talk very frankly about sex and swear and drink and occasionally do drugs and the stalker plotline is pretty intense but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily inappropriate for teenagers even though I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to like the younger spectrum of teenagers. I think that the advice column is definitely a way for the author to talk about some of this kind of stuff but because it's all written in Jack's voice which feels like very authentically teenager it doesn't come across super preachy it like feels like a casual kind of conversation that teens actually would have with each other. I also think a lot of the stuff discussed in this book would not necessarily come up in a high school sex ed class just because a lot of it is talking about characters who are gay, for instance, and a lot of high school sex ed is basically, please do not have sex, you will get pregnant, which like, that is fair. You don't want teenagers getting pregnant, but also sometimes teenagers do have sex and it's good to talk about how to communicate about that and like to know about how to be healthy and know about consent and stuff. So I imagine that like maybe there are some teenagers who would read this and get some insight into navigating relationships that they wouldn't have otherwise, which is kind of an interesting aspect of this book because that means that it functions not only as a book about characters and plot, but also like not exactly an instruction manual, but, but also maybe a source people can get some insight into topics that they might not otherwise have heard discussed in real life. Oh, one thing that I really liked about bo both this book and Perfect on Paper is that both Darcy and Jack run advice columns about relationships, but also both characters do acknowledge that asexuality and aromanticism exist. So you might not necessarily be interested in a romantic relationship or having sex or both. And so they both answer questions about these, which I really liked because like, just because the sections of their advice are focused on sex and romance doesn't mean that like that's something everyone's interested in. So I really liked that the authors took the time to acknowledge that like some people just aren't interested in those things at all. There's nothing wrong with that, which is cool because I feel like sometimes books can get so fixated on like teenagers like being into romance that sometimes they don't acknowledge that people aren't interested in that at all sometimes. I would say that this book ties the actual advice column and the people seeking advice to the plot of the story less than Perfect on Paper did so because it's sort of more about one-off characters who will send in an email and then get back a response and then maybe he'll run into them in a later chapter than not being tied to the actual plot of the book in which Darcy's advice column and her anonymous identity are very much related to the plot. The actual like plot of this book is much more about the stalker. So it'll be kind of that at the start of a chapter, someone might send in an email. And then at the next chapter, you'll see Jack's answer in the advice column. But kind of the thing that propels the story forward is not necessarily the advice column, but rather the reaction it gets when he starts having this like creepy stalker who's flirting him with him in a really gross way. So that's more to, sort of more of like a different take on the advice column and that it's more of a story within a story rather than the actual plot of it. One similarity between this book and Perfect on Paper, though, is that Jack and Darcy both also have slightly unconventional home lives, which I haven't seen in a lot of YA books because Jack's mom is a single parent by choice and had Jack by a sp sperm donor. And so he doesn't have a dad in his life and he's never had a dad in his life, but to him, this is like totally normal. And I don't think I've read very many books where a character has a parent who's a single parent by choice. So I just thought that was an interesting subplot. Yeah, I like that too. I just like it when young adult books portray families that are sort of outside of the nuclear family dynamic because those people exist and it is interesting to read about and people deserve to see families like theirs in books. I also liked that there's no storyline about him trying to connect with his biological dad or like feeling like he's missing a masculine presence in his life or like the issues with his mom stemming from her being a single mom. It's just how his life is and he's fine with it. And he has issues with his mother, but like they're not related to the fact that she's a single mom. Yeah, agreed. I definitely enjoy it when YA books feature families outside like the little nuclear family with the mom and dad and two kids because like plenty of people experience that in their own lives. So, you know, you should also write about it. I would definitely like to talk about the stalker stuff more and maybe get into some spoilers because that is a pretty large aspect of this book. Like the sex advice column is sort of the hook of the book, but I would say the stalker is actually the majority of the plot of the book. Yeah, the stalker definitely is a pretty major part of the book and it's kind of dark and honestly gets a little bit scary at some points. Yeah, I mean, the stalker starts off 
leaving these creepy notes in his locker that's just like, wow, I think you're cute. But then it starts to kind of harass him and harass his friends. And at one point when they're at a party and he leaves his jacket unattended, like on a pile on someone's bed, they go and like cut his jacket up. So it sort of escalates into destruction of property and blackmail. And he ends up in these really uncomfortable situations because the stalker is sort of trying to manipulate him into behaving how they think he should behave. So a lot of the book is about Jack having to fight back against this anonymous presence that is judging who he is and how he lives his life and trying to get to the bottom of it, even though he doesn't know who it is and the school authorities are being very unhelpful and unresponsive about it. I will say that I feel like the reveal of the person's identity felt like a little bit sudden and a little bit convenient, but I also understand that the point of this plot was more to explore the effect that it had on Jack and how like there were lots of people who didn't approve of his kind of lifestyle of sleeping around a lot and dressing flamboyantly and not necessarily like the person themselves. Right, because a lot of the book is about Jack's kind of downward spiral as the stalker starts to harass him about every aspect of his life and blackmail him and seems to be following him around and knows things that about him that no one else really does and how it starts to have this effect on his life where he starts to doubt whether like he should do what they're saying and whether like they'll ever leave him alone. So it gets pretty dark at points, but it also leads into this storyline that's kind of about the way that straight women fetishize gay men. And that's a topic about like homophobia, specifically that type of homophobia I've never seen explored in an adult book. Like Jack being this character who is seen as this larger than life character by people at his school. So they feel like it's okay to talk about him invasively and like speculate about his sex life and treat him kind of like a celebrity at school instead of a person. And the way that that's specifically done by a lot of straight girls at the school and that ends up being who is in fact his stalker means that I feel like it's discussing a particular type of homophobia that I have not seen really explored in a, in a young adult book before. Yeah, so basically what happens, spoilers for the identity of the stalker, for most of the book, Jack thinks that the stalker is maybe some other gay guy who's obsessed with him or wants to date him or like otherwise doesn't approve of what his life is like, but it actually turns out to be one of the straight girls at his school who kind of like fetishizes him and is sort of obsessed with the way that she like thinks he's living his life wrong and that she can like make him behave more correctly that kind of turns out to be the main motivation of the stalker and so it uses this whole plot line to deal with the idea of like the way that gay men are fetishized by straight women which as you said is not something that I've really seen talked about in a YA book before or like even any other books that I've read either. And obviously along the way as Jack is trying to figure out who his mysterious stalker is he kind of encounters different types of people who disapprove of him like the administration kind of thinks that he's tainting their reputation as a fancy private school in New York City by talking really frankly about sex and romance and then he even has an ex-boyfriend who thinks that he's giving gay people a bad name by sleeping around a lot and like playing into a stereotype so ultimately the stalker ends up being motivated by this one specific hatred of Jack but we sort of over the course of the book encounter other people who have these reasons that they've like justified disliking him. So it ends up being this explanation of why people would hate someone like Jack and want to force him to be something other than the way that he naturally is. I will say that during the plot of this book, I definitely had like a bit of a, oh my God, just go to the police or tell your mother what's happening mentality when it came to the stalker, because this person is like, something to be taken seriously like they are actually trying to blackmail Jack and like no details about his personal life and like are trying to force him to do things but he feels very strongly about not going to the police or the school administration because he's afraid they won't be helpful at all. I personally did think the book did a good job of explaining why he wouldn't necessarily go to the authorities like the police or the school administration because because the principal at his school basically tried to shut down the advice column that he was running and thought he would be making it up for attention basically. I did have a little bit of a harder time being sold on why he wouldn't tell his mother because I think while Jack does have this kind of it could be worse mentality that's unpacked throughout the course of the book, I, I did find it a little harder to be convinced why he wouldn't go to his mom because she's pretty accepting of his sexuality and the fact that he parties a lot and of like who he is in general. And while there is sort of this element of distance to the relationship, I felt like it didn't quite convince me that he wouldn't go to her when it escalated to things like property destruction and actual stalking and trying to blackmail him into sending compromising photos. I was just like, please talk to your mom. Yeah, I get it's one of those things in YA books where you can't have the parents and other adults involved too much because it's a book about teenagers. But in this case, 
I kind of was wondering why maybe they weren't asking some adults for help a little bit earlier, just because the stuff that the stalker does starts off like not as bad as it gets later in the book. Like it's just like leaving weird notes. But by the end of the book, it is getting into like serious, like actually criminal behavior. But also sometimes I do think teenagers have this kind of, it's really not that bad. I can fix it on my own without having to get the adults involved attitude. So do you feel like that is maybe realistic? But reading it as someone who is not a teenager anymore, I was like, please talk to your parents. Yeah, pretty much. In the end, they do find out who the stalker is, but like, it's a little bit convenient. It's mostly because he overhears this girl talking about something and he kind of puts two and two together. So their actual like sleuthing efforts don't go anywhere, which I thought was too bad because there's a whole subplot of them like trying to figure out like which people in school have a vendetta against him and like which people would be like around like at this certain time of day when they like leave notes for him and stuff like that. And I was sort of hoping their like sleuthing and mystery solving would go somewhere, but unfortunately it doesn't. Well, not everyone can be Nancy Drew. Not every teenager is good at solving crimes. That is true. So aside from the stalker, one thing that I really liked about Jack of Hearts is that unlike Perfect on Paper, Jack doesn't have a love interest or a romantic arc over the course of the story. Um, He's spent like basically his whole high school time out just kind of like having casual hookups with various guys with no strings attached and he continues doing this throughout the book and like the narrative doesn't shame him for it neither do any of his friends and the fact that the stalker is trying to kind of shut down his behavior and like make him not sleep around is definitely shown to be like a really bad thing so I thought that was interesting because I feel like in most YA books either a character has a romantic arc or they don't but I haven't read one before where the character just has like a lot of casual hookups with characters over the course of the story and this is just like an accepted part of it. It felt actually to me quite real to how college students treat relationships. I feel like high school is often more about people being in monogamous relationships and college often tends to be a lot of really short-lived things but I, I do agree that that's not something I've seen in young adult books which you might be seeing is a theme about Jack of Hearts which is me going wow I haven't seen that in a young adult book before because it does contain a lot of things that maybe say that. But I did think it was good that Jack doesn't really have an arc about being like, oh, I'm going to settle down with a nice guy and be in a monogamous relationship because like, that's what I actually need out of life. He's like, no, actually, this is who I am right now. I don't really want a relationship. I'm fine with that. The fact that people are trying to change me and make me into something I'm not is bad. I'm going to continue being true to myself as long as I communicate to people that's not what I want and we're on the same page. That's fine. Yeah, pretty much. Also, one of his strategies for finding his stalker is basically to seduce all of the out buyer gay guys at his high school to see who could be sending the like creepily flirtatious notes at the, at the start of the book. So there are so many side characters. I did kind of start losing track of them at one point. Like in the final chapter, some guy named Charlie turned up and I was just like, whoops, I do not remember you at all. I am so sorry. Yeah, the one downside of Jack having a lot of no strings attached relationships is that I did sort of tend to lose track of which characters were which sometimes by the end I was being like I think I remember which character this is but I'm not sure. I know but it was sort of funny because they literally have this list of people that they're investigating like trying to see whether they have any particularly negative feelings towards Jack and if they were around at the right time and if they have the resources to be blackmailing him. So the fact that it's a stalker mystery and I couldn't keep track of the suspects perhaps says something about my ability to keep track of mysteries. All of the teens in this book drank, smoked, and slept around a lot more than I ever did when I was a teenager. I don't know if it's because I lived in New York City and I lived in like a random town, but it was kind of weird sometimes. I mean, that they were prep schools at a New York City private school, so I imagine that they had a pretty different experience than either of us did in high school. But it's true that I had kind of a funny experience reading this book because on one hand, the characters in this book were way more mature than I was at their age. Like I was not going out to clubs and partying on the weekend. I was like, let me study for my AP quiz. But on the other hand, then they would mention things like taking the PSATs and I'd be like, oh my God, I am actually ancient in comparison. I know, it did make me laugh when there was a part where they were like, we did the PSATs, now we're gonna go get drunk. And I was like, I can relate to one of these aspects and not the other. <laughs> yeah, or, or sometimes Jack would reference like getting together with college guys or trying to get his friend Ben, who is like perpetually single for a long time to date a college guy. And I was just like, no, you're a high school junior. I promise college guys who are interested in high school students are not worth it. And then I would feel old again because that is my not a teenager perspective speaking. (laughs) Very much, yeah. 
I do think a lot of that was just the fact that they are prep school students in New York City. Like the fact that they would pregame before parties by drinking champagne, eating cucumber sandwiches, very much felt like a private school thing, or maybe that they had just been reading too much Oscar Wilde, or maybe both. I feel like that may even be a scene in The Importance of Being Earnest, so you're probably right. But I don't think they called it pre-gaming. They probably called it like high tea. <laughs> maybe. I, I feel like I did really find this a really interesting book as it fits in sort of the overall existence of young adult literature. But I, I think I did have a couple of criticisms because I just had a bit of a rough start getting into it, to be honest. The first is that like, I didn't love that Jack was a little judgy of his friend Ben for being single at the start because Jack is friends with this guy named Ben who is gay, but they're not interested in each other. And while Jack has had a string of relationships, Ben is basically single because he's saving himself for the right guy. And Jack is like a little judgy of him at times. And I'm like, you guys are 17. It's actually perfectly fine for you to be single, I promise. And also the fact that one of the reasons Ben is single is that he's black and fat and is kind of worried that it will be hard to find someone to date because of that. And there was just a moment where Jack is like not amazingly sympathetic at him, towards him. And that's like at the very start. So that, that sort of got on my nerves for a little bit. Like, I think it's okay to have unlikable main characters in books, especially books about teenagers who, as we've discussed, can be messy and make wrong decisions and have bad judgment. But that doesn't mean that like it unnecessarily start rooting for them immediately if they're a little bit mean. Yeah, I think Jack's thoughts on his friend Ben's perpetually single status was supposed to come off as like more of a, well, if you're saving yourself for the right person, I'd like to help you find the right person so you can be happy and in a relationship. But sometimes it did sort of come across as like, why aren't you dating someone? I'm judging you for not dating someone because I date people all the time. And I was like, calm down, Jack. You're like a junior in high school. Everyone has plenty of time to get into relationships in college. I know. I'm like, it's not like you all are pushing 40. Like, you're fine. <laughs> that being said, like you mentioned, I did appreciate that one of the people who wrote into Jack's column was kind of grappling with realizing that they might be asexual and not interested in sex the way that everyone else seemed to be. And Jack wrote back a pretty thoughtful response about how it's fine not to be interested in sex, which I thought was like kind of a good addition and sort of balanced that stuff out. I was glad to see that because it is perfectly fine if people are not interested in sex or romance. And I'm glad that a book that deals very much with that is also like, yeah, but some people just aren't interested in that and that's fine. Yeah, that was definitely part of the book that I appreciated. I also liked that in Perfect on Paper, Darcy makes sure to differentiate between being asexual and being aromantic, which is also not something that I see talked about a ton in YA books. But I did like that it was in these books because if someone is grappling with similar problems, maybe they can come across these books and realize it's actually totally fine to either take your time or to not be sure of yourself or to not be interested in certain things at all. So I do feel like actually the main thing that I did not enjoy about the start of this book was actually the very first response column that Jack wrote because this girl writes in about wanting to kind of like experiment sexually with her boyfriend and he shares a story about a guy that he was hooking up with who didn't really respect his boundaries and that's not the point of the story he's trying to discuss how it like should be fine to communicate with your partner and try different types of sex if that's what you're interested in but his friends kind of point out that the story is a little bit messed up and he just brushes it off as the guy being a jerk. And I was like, no, actually he was kind of being bad and <laughs> you should acknowledge that that wasn't great. Like, I don't think characters have to always handle everything perfectly. And especially teenagers don't always have a perfectly on point understanding of interpersonal relationships and whether something was okay or not. But I was just surprised that a book about relationship advice never had this moment where Jack went, hmm, you know, maybe that wasn't great. And I did have kind of a sort of not great experience with this guy I was with one time. And I would like to give advice so people don't end up in the same situation. It just sort of gets brushed off. And I was a little surprised about that because it's the very first advice column. And I was sort of expecting that by writing about his previous relationships, Jack would maybe sort of come to reflect on that a little bit more. But instead, he just sort of brushes it off and continues on with his life, which just felt a little unsatisfying to me. I would have liked to see some more follow-up or resolution to that story. Yeah, I think part of it was supposed to display like Jack's it could be worse attitude towards a lot of things in his life, but it was definitely a story that made me go like, that was maybe not okay because in the column that he writes, this guy definitely kind of disrespected his boundaries. There's also somewhat of an age gap between them because when the story that he's relating happened Jack was a freshman in high school and the guy was a senior and I kind of wanted Jack to maybe be like actually that like wasn't cool but he just kind of brushes it off I sort of thought they might bring it up again and then it never was brought up again I'm not quite sure why 
I'm glad it didn't turn into a kind of Jack is sleeping around and not able to commit to people because he's actually traumatized from an early, early relationship though. I think that would have felt kind of like ringing false. So I'm glad that Jack is still someone who even after the events of the whole stalking thing, like still feels confident in who he is and what he wants out of relationships. But I just felt like it would have been more satisfying to me if that particular advice column had maybe been revisited. And I was a little surprised that it wasn't just because it seemed like it was being set up for something. And it feels unsatisfying when stuff like that isn't followed through. I think the other like small complaint that I had about this book is that I do feel like the reveal of who the stalker was was kind of rushed, but I also sort of predicted it because at the beginning of the book, Jack is fairly convinced that the stalker is a guy. And I immediately picked up on that as a red herring. And I was like, well, like who else in this book seems weirdly obsessed with him? Is it maybe one of these straight girls that like has been fetishizing him from page one? And then it did turn out to be one of those girls. And so the reveal is just like he overhears one of them talking about him and realizes that like she's the person that's been sending him notes and it's a little bit convenient like I feel like there could have been a way the author could have had it fall out that felt like a little bit more like a natural progression of the mystery. I did actually like that they fail at being detectives quite a lot in this book though because I think it's sort of because they refuse to go to the authorities or talk to Jack's mom or talk to a teacher that he trusts he and his friends Ben and Jenna kind of try to scope it out and find out who the stalker is on their own time and they do things like trying to set up a camera or trying to figure out who could have been at the right place with the right resources to send him a creepy note that's like folded like origami and they honestly aren't great at it and I thought that actually was really realistic because I know that if one of my friends started getting stalked and being left creepy notes I would be a very terrible detective so I thought it was actually pretty realistic that like they didn't find this person because they're brilliant detectives because they're juniors in high school. Their problems are like who they're going to hook up with at a party and what scores they got on the PSATs. None of them are Nancy Drew in training. So the fact that they got their efforts to find this stalker foiled frequently, I felt was actually really realistic. That's fair, yeah. And I think when the identity of this person was revealed, and it turns out to be like this straight girl called Caitlin, that's one of the people that gossips about Jack a lot, it was used as a really good way to kind of explore the way that a lot of people who claim to like be okay with gay people actually just kind of want to police them and make them behave in a way that they think is more acceptable. And so it's definitely like the stalker plotline is used to kind of explore like the broader idea of straight women fetishizing gay men and like the way that you shouldn't try to police someone's sexuality or how they live their lives. Right, because it explores this very particular type of homophobia, which is not just, I think it is bad that you are gay and you should be straight, but like, something like, I think it's so hot that you're gay and I don't see you as a person. I just see you as a sexuality and like the types of sex acts you engage in, which is its own type of homophobia and bad because you're reducing someone to less than who they fully are as a person. But I think I have not really seen that specific type of homophobia explored in a, in a young adult book, which I think I'm glad to see that talked about because I think young adult books that talk about dark subjects are a very necessary thing. And this is a kind of thing that people probably encounter in the real life. So it's probably pretty validating to read about it and be like, yes, I have experienced that. And that's something I've overcome. So I'm, I'm glad that it's something talked about in this book. And like you said, the other suspects that Jack and his friends investigate, they kind of use those to explore different reasons why these people might not like him. Like Jack's somewhat straight-laced ex-boyfriend who's convinced that like Jack sleeping around a lot and like wearing glittery outfits means that he's playing into like the stereotypes what people think gay men are like and if they're for like giving them a bad name and the book is like no just because like one person is behaving this way doesn't mean you should shame them for like playing into a stereotype you should just be like you're gonna live your life I'm gonna live my life we are separate and I respect that and not try to judge them about that so I like that subplot as well. Honestly while reading a lot of this book I was just kind of surprised that it got published because it talks about a lot of subjects very frankly that I have not seen explored in any type of young adult contemporary book before and I read a fair amount so it's not like I'm saying that with no background but I think a lot of this stuff is something that I'm kind of glad to see in a young adult book obviously I wouldn't hand this book to like a 13 year old but I think if you're an upper high school student it might be interesting to read about that and see how these characters are navigating their identities and relationships I also think it, it's not meant to be paired with perfect on paper or anything these are books that were written at different times and honestly kind of belong to different genres. But I do think it's interesting to consider them in relation to each other and the way that they discuss identity and relationships and just like 
how they sort of fit into this extremely niche trope that I, I don't even know if it has a name, but I really enjoy it. I don't think there's a specific name for like the genre of character rights and advice column, but I really liked the way that the authors use both of these books to kind of talk about like real problems that teenagers might encounter and like questions that they might have about their relationships or their sexualities but like without seeming like a preachy textbook and I think that could be hard to pull off but I finished these books like feeling like the characters in them really did read like teenagers and I think that's pretty high praise because I've definitely read some young adult contemporary books where I came away being like none of these characters read like teenagers in any way shape or form but with Darcy and Jack they really do feel like people that like I might actually have gone to school with in high school Agreed. I mean, complaining about the PSATs and giving a PowerPoint on how Chad and Ryan from High School Musical 2 were definitely gay seems very realistically teen to me. Extremely. It is funny. I enjoy reading books like this, and I enjoy movies like The Half of It on Netflix, where the main character is sort of orchestrating this romance between this guy who asked for advice. But I I hate reading social cues, and I always cringe horribly when I'm reading them, probably because they're real. Like, These books being about fictional people, even though they do deal with real types of relationship scenarios, the fact that they're not actually real letters people are writing in about awkward situations in their relationship or advice they need, I think adds just like enough distance and I can enjoy it. Oh yes, social cues always make me cringe because I'm like, this is your real life. This is the real situation you're in. How did you even get in that situation? Whereas in, in this scenario, all the people involved are made up, even if the stuff that they experience is like very much stuff that people in real life might have. I also think just in general, these stories both did a good job of balancing the advice aspect, but not feeling preachy or just like a teachable moment because the main characters are kind of disasters in their own way. Like Darcy dispenses relationship advice to people and is really good at it, but her own love life is a total mess in multiple ways and she has her own insecurities and issues. Or Jack giving people advice into sex and relationships and coming out and identity, but constantly minimizing his own problems and not really being able to acknowledge when he needs to ask for help or being able to be like, you know what, it could be worse, but that doesn't mean this is okay. I think that's how you really nail this trope by having a character who might be able to give good insights into life and relationship and advice, but like has their own problems they can't actually fix. Because if you have a protagonist who knows everything about everything and can solve their own problems, you don't really have a book or a plot. However, we do advise against running an anonymous advice column out of your locker in high school because as these books both show, it may backfire in some way. And with that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you'd like to keep up with more of our podcasting misadventures, you can find more at our website, neverthetwinsshallmeet.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, or on Instagram at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet, or on Tumblr at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet.tumblr.com. You can also send us questions in at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this episode or others, feel free to leave us a rating or review on iTunes.